Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Health Institute Podcast. I'm your host today, Dr. Chris Motley. Courtney sends her love. Dr. Axe sends his love. And today I have a very special guest, my friend, Brendan Vermeer. And he is the CEO, I'm going to talk him up a bit, of Metabolic Solutions. He talks about brain and mental health. And in this podcast, we wanted to have an organic conversation with you and let him explain the things that can affect your mentality, uh, that deal with inflammation, that deal with diet. And I've talked with him before, and we just had a great conversation, guys. So we just want to make sure that everybody out there, hey, remember, when he talks all the smart stuff, you can always rewind and like go forward. So don't get overwhelmed. Anyway, thanks, Brendan, so much, my friend, for coming on the podcast. Oh, Chris, it's it's honestly a pleasure. I feel like when we first connected, there was just that instant brotherhood. So we had such a good first organic convo and I'm excited for a, a round two. And, you know, I'll try to always bring my crazy thoughts full circle so we can have a good constructive conversation for the audience. Oh man, I did too. I think that whenever um, we always have like, uh, you have people on podcasts or interviews and you kind of, you have that uh, immediate kinship you know that you're going to be friends for life. Like you cannot like not even see somebody for like three, four weeks, three or four months, a year or two, but you're like, you can pick up from where you started. So I definitely feel that way, same way, friend. And um, I appreciate it, brother. And um, man, we like to just jump in, man. And uh, I just want you to talk a bit about yourself. And I know we've uh, we chatted personally between us about what your beginnings were, but many people out there want to know like your life, your credentials, why you got into mental health. Can you give us a, a brief bio and just let us know what you are about? Yeah, absolutely. It's always, you know, you never really get used to trying to like talk about yourself and how do you, how do you succinctly, you know, encapsulate a, a lifelong journey of sentience into the unknown in this impartial reality, right? Like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of what I spend my time contemplating. And, you know, I do, I get asked a lot of like, well, how did you get into this field and get to where you are now, where the only credential that I even identify with anymore is the credential that I created and am launching of this functional mental health practitioner, right? I am currently in the launch of this certificate program that is, you know, for doctors, clinicians, coaches, it's agnostic in the sense of like, if you're a health professional wanting to help people get to the root causes of their mental health issues, like this is the advanced training program for them. And, you know, I'm not a huge credential guy, even though I have tons of them. I used to collect plenty of pieces of paper. It started when I was 18 as a personal trainer and nutrition coach. And with that more background of exercise physiology, nutritional biochemistry, really the science of metabolic fitness and performance and health and longevity, and then really going through my own mental health struggles and being diagnosed with major depressive disorder and ADHD and having a suicide attempt and waking up in the ICU and going through the you know, conventional psychiatric system and living in, it just goes on and on and on. I went through my own struggles and it was through all of that, that obviously this very organic segue in, in progression into functional medicine from, you know, fitness, nutrition, and holistic health. First, as I was kind of getting my feet wet in the functional medicine space, I was like, man, you know, it's, it's mostly just doctors and licensed providers. Like, will I ever be taken seriously or be respected in this space? But actually now, I mean, I've planted my flag in the ground and made my presence known. And I find that that background is actually really my superpower because now, you know, I'm starting to see 
some doctors starting to talk in terms of metabolic psychiatry. And mm-hmm. I've been over here preaching for my entire career of like, well, you know, metabolic health is the foundation of mental health for the most part. And yeah. so it's interesting to start seeing this kind of talk about metabolic psych. I, frankly, I think people are kind of behind and, and it has become <laughs> clear to me that the work that I'm doing is very important. I firmly believe that. And as I'm, you know, producing this program and my new lab test and kind of get this information out, I'm really seeing just how powerful it is and how desperately it's needed with the mental health crisis. So it's really a pleasure to get to share a little bit about it. I, I love it. I, I want to talk a bit about this, you know, like you say, your, your lab works and, and the, and the uh, types of um, labs you're going to be running on individuals. And I think it's really, uh, we've talked about this, about how important it is for individuals out there today that they're listening and you say the metabolic function of the brain, like you say, they're psychologists mm-hmm. that now they're actually recognizing, and I'm not in that field as much as you are, brother, but I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how much we've neglected the importance of like, I just say nutrients and metabolic function and sleep. And I want you to talk about sleep and about the things that actually rebuild the brain, because uh, I don't know how many times, you know, we have clients, we have patients that come to us and say, Hey, I can't remember what I did yesterday. I can't remember. Uh, I have short-term memory issues. I have this inflammation in my brain. I always have brain fog. Let's talk a bit, if you would, like whenever we talk about that metabolic maintenance, what are some of the key things that you see missing or that you think, you know, that we need to do in a general scope about starting to help people be aware of the symptoms? What are some of the symptoms? And maybe what lead into like, what are some of the things you see help to start to alleviate those symptoms of brain degeneration and neurodegeneration? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's such a huge thing to unpack. And literally, as I'm building this program and curriculum that's shaping up to be over 200 hours of advanced medical education. And, you know, it's, it's taking me that big of a thing to, to really break this down in a way to tease it all apart, to break it down into this structured reproducible methodology, essentially. And it really starts elucidating just the weaknesses of the conventional psychiatric approach. Right. And you know, it's like you look at that study that came out in 2020 saying 88% of Americans are metabolically ill. And when you actually look at the study, that that study was based on pretty crude markers of health, right? Things like waist circumference, triglycerides, you know, blood sugar status, blood pressure, mm-hmm. very crude metrics of health. But nonetheless, like just because it's crude and kind of gross and macro doesn't mean it's invalid. Like actually, yeah, I mean, if you have weak grip strength, like that does indicate a greater risk of dementia later on, Mm -hmm. but there's kind of this, what should be common sense, but maybe not when, well, I mean, there's a reason why 88% of the population is metabolically ill, right? We've been sold this narrative and lifestyle that is pro-inflammatory, cytotoxic and and destructive, right? This Mm -hmm. obesity and metabolic illness pandemic epidemic, you know, I have this beautiful chart in my slide deck where it plots like suicide rates from, I think it's like 1990 to 2018 and obesity rates. And it's just this positive upward correlation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's kind of weird. How, how did, how did we get to this point where we separate health so much like, well, hormone health and gut health and metabolic health and neural health. And how is it all different? And it's like, that's, I mean, it's all the same stuff that we're talking about. And further, it's weird to me how 
nobody argues with the idea that chronic inflammation drives chronic disease and nobody denies that we have a chronic disease issue at hand. And then all we're doing is doubling down on this big pharma pocket lining narrative of like, well, the medication, the medication, the medication. And it's like, we're never going to cut or medicate our way out of an environmental and lifestyle driven crisis, you know? And so I'm simply expanding the conversation to, well, chronic neuroinflammation equals mental illness, mental health disorder, personality disorder, and neurodegeneration, which you know, Alzheimer's is now the sixth leading cause of death in America. And even the scientific literature is saying like, yo, the best, you know, the best treatment is prevention. Like the best thing you can do to avoid dementia and Alzheimer's later on is decrease the neuroinflammation throughout the course of your life. And that's really what my whole work is centering around. And I I think that you made a great point when you're actually linking that neurological conditions um, when we say Alzheimer's, even you can throw like multiple sclerosis in there or any, uh, even uh, Parkinson's, mm-hmm. uh, when they start to finally link that your diet, the way you live, like inflammation can actually have basically a part within these ca- types of diseases. And I was thinking, brother, it was really interesting that because, you know, we talked about like Lyme disease and such, and we were, they were talking about this study in Harvard where uh, they were doing autopsies on some of these cadavers and they would find that they were doing like Dr. Amen, like he does a lot of brain scans. And so they would find that individuals that had certain types of inflammation in their brain, when they donate their body to science, they would, they would do autopsy. They find heavy amounts of certain types of bacterial infections and parasitic infection in the brain. But it was, but I always link it back to, like you said, like, what are we doing in our everyday lives that would attract those infections, you know, into the brain? Like it, it, the amounts of sugars you eat and the amounts of trans fat is in the environmental toxins. Can you touch a bit about like, what are some of those key, like, environmental stressors that you discuss on in your platform about like, like that just starts the inflammatory pathway. Yeah, it's it's such a huge problem. And what we're kind of talking about right now is ultimately this chronic leaky brain that is mm. r- rampant today. And you know, I think many people are pretty familiar with the idea of leaky gut and maybe even leaky brain, like it's starting to get a little bit more well known. And it's very established in the literature, you know, whereas scientists used to think that the functional tissue, the parenchyma of the brain was this exclusive area that's like separate from the rest of the body. And we just know that's simply not true anymore. We have our humoral pathways and vagal nerve pathways, all these different ways that, hey, I mean, this is connected to this. There's a lot of communication through the milieu, through the chemokines and cytokines and pro mediators. And so this is again where, okay, well, if we're all in agreement that chronic inflammation drives chronic disease, And if we know that inflammation of the body disrupts the blood-brain barrier, activates the innate immune system of the central nervous system, which is my key area of research with microglial activation, Mm -hmm. okay, well, it's these innate immune cells that are the architects and the guardians of the brain that ultimately they regulate the neuroinflammatory cascade and the neuroplastic. So something I teach a lot is ultimately brain and central nervous system homeostasis and regulation kind of comes down to this balance of neuroinflammation and neuroplasticity. And it's like, you know, think about a a rainforest. If there's a out of control, chronic forest fire, what do you think is going to happen after 10, 20 years? Like the whole forest is going to burn down versus neuroplasticity. That's the, the, you know, the trees, the plants all growing and thriving. It's this green, vibrant, lush forest. And so we need homeostasis. Like, point of inflammation is to be that cleansing fire 
that the immune system uses to fight off pathogens or clean up debris, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you can think of it as that like acute field burn, you know, farmers have to, you know, they dig their trenches and they burn this field and it's controlled, it's acute. But these days people have this chronic neuroinflammatory response, chronic inflammation in their body and this leaky brain where then now that blood brain barrier is disrupted. So to your point, all of these microbial pathogens can leak up in there, migrate up in there, translocate, as well as even like the, the suckers are so intelligent, they can use the Trojan horse mechanism to hide into the brain, hiding inside of our own immune cells that migrate up there. So there's, I, I think with like, to your point about, you know, the bugs in the brain and the stealth infections, which is a huge area of passion that we both share. Mm-hmm. I do think a lot of that is because of the compromised immunity and the compromised blood brain barrier driven primarily by metabolic illness, mm-hmm. right? You know, I think under normal physiological conditions, uh, the human organism is really quite resilient. We can fight off those bugs, keep them in check. We have healthy tissue barriers, but especially in America, this, this chronic disease crisis and metabolic syndrome quite literally opens up the door of your brain to allow those stealth infections, whether it's SARS-CoV-2 or, you know, Babesia or anything else that hang out in your brain and just further trigger that innate immune system to drive the neurodegeneration. I mean, just seeing that you say like with the metabolic syndrome, creating the pathway for these to occur. I love in your work and in, in, in your videos and even like your posts, like, can you describe, and and hopefully I'm not throwing too much at you, brother. Oh man, that's good. You know, when you talk about metabolic syndrome, could you tell people like, because some people out there are probably going to be like, I, I, I know I've heard of metabolic syndrome. Could you mm. just give them like a, a brief summary of what, what br- that metabolic syndrome could lead to that blood brain barrier having neurodegeneration? Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like the conventional criteria of metabolic syndrome, which is more like high blood pressure, high blood sugar, high cholesterol and dyslipidemia, you know, high waist circumference, high BMI, which you know, I, I say it somewhat facetiously just because those are such crude metrics of health. Like, you know, it's, I think we need to raise our standards of, of health metrics and data of what is an acceptable body fat percentage rather than, you know, you're pushing a BMI of 35 anyways. So more mm-hmm. sensitive metrics might do America a little bit of good, higher standards of metabolic health. But, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in disease management, which is kind of the whole problem. And so with that, you know, the metabolic, like I created my own standard American metabolism, which just happens to spell SAM as an acronym, which I think is hilarious. So it's like that standard American metabolism. It's like high body fat or just elevated body fat percentage, low lean mass, which might be more important than higher body fat, like low lean mass by itself is huge. But, you know, it's the things like the dyslipidemia, the fatty liver, the leaky dysbiotic gut, methylation issues and homocystinuria. And, you know, the list kind of goes on and on, but we have have this sort of prototypical standard American archetype that it's just very metabolically ill and compromised, low mitochondrial capacity. And simplistically, we could kind of characterize this phenotype of like elevated oxidative stress and inflammation and finally any disease that is not characterized by elevated oxidative stress and inflammation. Like you can't. So it's just, we have this oxidized and inflamed population Mm -hmm. and how the disease manifests, it's going to be the weak link in their unique genotype, right? Like for this person, it presents as 
Parkinson's when they're 60. For this person, it presents as Sjogren's when they're, you know, 40, right? So the chronic inflammatory condition, you know, it's more of like a dysfunctional epigenetic phenotype, but ultimately the, the punchline is we need to bring down the level of oxidative stress and inflammation in all these people. Mm -hmm. So that actually, what's beautiful is once you understand that basic physiology, we can reverse engineer it of like, all right, looking at the environment, looking at the lifestyle, you know, how can we decrease that burden? Because all, all big pharma is doing is creating new drugs that essentially block those mechanisms. Like, well, let's block the inflammation, but now it increases your risk of infection, which I say this all the time because it's such an important point, but there's a new drug in phase two clinical trials, and it's a monoclonal antibody that works by blocking interleukin-6, the oh, most well-studied pro-inflammatory cytokine. And their intent, once it goes through phase two clinical trials, is this will now be a second-line treatment for treatment-resistant depression. So it's like, you know, you're depressed, you do your SSRI, it gives you low libido and suicidal ideation. So you're not responsive. So then they're like, well, let's give you this anti-inflammatory cytokine blocking drug. But what's the risk of blocking pro-inflammatory cytokines? Immunosuppression. So riddle me this, Chris, is like, how are we going to combat a mental health crisis with an immunosuppressive drug during an infectious disease pandemic? You can't answer because I mean, you can't. There's, yeah. <laughs> you cannot answer that. And, and, oh. and I don't want to interrupt, but I think like whenever you have, you know, I, I, I like sometimes when I watch videos of myself, like I get on these things where I get a little bit of an, a tangent and I think <laughs> I kind of like it though. But it's yeah. like, when you think about somebody creating a drug that would do that, it's like, and you said this in your post, which I really appreciate. It's like the body does produce inflammation that gives you clear signal that something's going on that needs to be addressed. And you know, when you have big pharma that says like, oh, we're just going to sort of mask that and just sort of sweep it under the rug. I just don't see how we've in our culture have just been in a sense blinded to that. Like there is yeah. something to address, right? Yeah. Well, and which I, that's the thing I, you know, I, even in my course, I go on these tangents because it's like, I, I feel like we dance around it so much and, mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong. I'm not against pharmaceutical science. I think it's innately like a good thing. Like we should produce new cutting edge medicines mm -hmm. and it's easy to get behind that of like, well, I, as a researcher, am helping to create new medicines that can save millions of lives or improve the quality of millions of lives. And it's like, yeah, no, it's the business model. It's the propaganda. Like big pharma shouldn't be allowed to market their product direct to consumer. And we're like one of two countries on earth that allows that legally, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you see that through mainstream media of like, we sell them the poisonous lifestyle with the pizza hut and the fast food and the convenience and all of that you know, in one commercial and the very next commercial, it's like, well, here's, you know, go talk to your doctor about this drug. And then the next commercial is like, oh, you got lymphoma from glyphosate, like call this lawyer firm to go make some money. Like that's the world we live in. And it's just like, well, there's the problem. <laughs> it's like, and, and when I, I really appreciate it, like whenever um, I read uh, information that you and a few of the docs that I really like, really like to see about, about the brain activity. And I love the way that you described about how people respond differently. Like you see all these things and it's targeted toward like a general audience, you know, like this is what's going to happen. But I think people don't realize, and maybe I never realized, like when you talk about the genetics in many of your posts, we talk about like the differences between a person and that can quote, get Parkinson's at this age, like you said, or a person get Alzheimer's. 
it's like your genetics and, and what I've seen in genetic research, which I love is that if you have oxidative stress, if your body is like producing these little pinballs of oxygen uh, electrons to go and tear through infections or trying to help clean up inf in inflammatory processes in your body, uh, depending on like your environmental stressors determines how well your genetics respond to the amount of oxidants in your body. So do you have enough antioxidants? And you're right. It's just crazy because then you have Pizza Hut, you got Taco Bell and, you know, I'm not down in any company. I'm just <laughs> saying you have all these things yeah. that are creating such inflammation. But even in our school systems and in our colleges, and we're not even talked about, you know, really taught about antioxidants or the importance of uh, green leafy vegetables. I mean, I, I had this post the other day, man, and I was just like knowing some of the patients that come in with their kids and I'm not putting down anybody that works at a school cafeteria or anything like that. Please don't get me, don't get me wrong. But it's just like the things that they're offered at schools. And you think that is driving the inflammation that, that those children's brains so high. I was like, they're going to have neurological conditions. So I oh mean, we could go on that for quite a bit of time. <laughs> yeah. With this, with this info, like when you have like this kind of oxidative stress, do you find like, what are some of the key things that you love to, you know, talk with your clients, with the people that you, you work with, like that could start to like reduce these things and keep talking about anything you mm -hmm. want to brother about this stress, oh, yeah. things that you see that really help start to reduce it and bring it back to center. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is the beautiful kind of arc in the conversation because it's then like, all right, so identify the problem. So what's the solution? What do we do? And it's actually a beautifully simple solution, you know, and it's, and it's, it's one that I don't know, some people are not ready to hear it, but it's just the foundations. Like if you have, if you're a farmer and you have livestock and the livestock are getting sickly, like they're, they're getting overweight, they're getting sickly, the skin quality, their cognition, they're behaving weird. Uh, it's, you know, you're not going to get good leather out of that. You're not going to get good meat out of that. Like the livestock is sickly. So do you blame the livestock? Like, no, you look at the pastures that they're grazing in. You look at the environment that they're spending their time in. You look at the water supply, the food supply, the feed that you're giving them, their living conditions. Like, that's what we need to be looking at in America. In so many ways, it's like, unfortunately, the population is a product of their environment. And it's like, well, if we look at, for example, I mean, it's well established that environmental pollutants, which at, you know, are at an all-time high, all of these things have, have been linked to excess oxidative stress and neurodegenerative conditions. And you know, we see environmental toxins linked to schizophrenia and autism and all of these things. And, and that's why it's like, you know, we can talk about like all the root cause, all the many factors, the EMF, the glyphosate, the processed food, the sedentary, so on and so forth. And that's why I can kind of consolidate it around the subject of microglial activation of like, well, all of these environmental danger input signals are causing this chronic cell danger response in the body, in the brain. And once that cell danger response kicks on, it just drives pathology, it drives illness. So, you know, rather than doubling down on like, all right, what booster shot, what medication and da, 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 da. It's like, no, actually we need to get back to nature. We, we have become the dysbiotic organism on this planet. We have to get back to living symbiotically with one another in the natural world where a lot of it is a, simply a matter. And everybody says this, but it's like, you know, reduce the amount of harmful input signals your body is receiving and boost the, the healing input signals, which is a lot of the cutting down on toxin exposure, the air quality, the, you know, clean air, clean food, clean water lots of movement, exercise, lots of sunshine, lots of good sleep. Don't socially isolate yourself, you know, spend time with loved ones. Like it's, 
the stuff that we were made to live for and the only things that make life worth living. That's the solution, which is a beautiful one. And, you know, it's kind of, I think these days, I don't know, we've gotten too cerebral and, and you know, the Instagram algorithm knows how we're going to behave better than we know how we're going to behave. That's scary, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it preys upon that to seduce us into this. Well, I need the data to prove to me that eating a piece of broccoli isn't going to kill me. But then like, but you don't think twice when the government's like, hey, go get a fifth booster and we'll give you a Krispy Kreme donut, right? Like that should be insulting. It's an insult to our intelligence, but it's actually, I mean, it worked pretty well. Like a lot of people went along with that. Right. So it's a big issue. (laughs) It is a big issue. Whenever you think about how, um, like solutions about how, and I don't say it's simple, like as in some, it's the application about like, Mm -hmm. when you say like, what can we do to further drive, like the reducing of inflammation in our bodies? And, and it is training ground, isn't it brother? It's just like, I mean, we are trained to like, I remember, um, I have to say this, like I watched Lucky Charms commercials when I was a kid. You did too. It's like, and I didn't really care about like what it was in there. I just said it was magically delicious. I'm serious. Like you just think like, you know, with, yeah. with the marketing that comes behind it and we're, it, we're often for, I don't remember the last time in school that I was taught that you should go out and ground. You should take your shoes off and ground in the earth. You should get so many hours of sleep. And uh, I want to talk about some sleep things with you too. Mm-hmm. And those, I say those simple applications and talk about community, but the research and people say like, you know, I want research about this, but I'm like, but if people really read the research, like you've been researching and showing on your post about what are the benefits of sleep? What are the benefits of clean water? What are the benefits of, of air just on your brain? It would dumbfound us how mm-hmm. much information that w- is there. So when we talked about this, I know that everybody out there is like, yes, we need to turn back into this, this way of living. Could you talk a bit about like just the benefits of sleep? Cause I know we talked about this before, like just your ideas, like, I mean, to let people know that I heard this good quote, man. It's like an older patient of mine. He goes, you remember in the, in the, ter- in the word restore to restore is the word rest. So in the word restore your body, you have to have rest. So what's the importance of just rest in itself? Like people need to slow down and try to turn back to that being outside, being in sun, doing those things. Absolutely. It's, it's all the, the fundamentals. And I think we're in this kind of young crisis where it's like, we've forgotten what it is to be human, you know? And unfortunately, yeah. I think the, the unconscious consumer human battery analogy of the matrix was actually pretty spot on. The world runs on the algorithms of technology and we, we are their life force. We are the, that artificial consciousness. They rely on, like, we don't need them. We don't need the technology. It needs us. It mm. feeds on us essentially. Yeah. So when our whole collective behavior is driven off what the machines tell us to do, I don't know, we're surrendering our free will and our, our sovereignty to technology. And Alan Watts had a really good quote of, we're so caught up in our mind that we've lost our senses. <laughs> and, you know, he, he quoted that like what in the sixties, yeah. Right. It, you know, here we are like 60 years later. And I guess it didn't, you know, stick. But <laughs> with sleep, uh, gosh, I mean, we could even have a full hour podcast just about sleep and insomnia because sleep is a huge issue in this country, more so than any other country. Like, I'm not a sleep scientist per se, but I guarantee you that the average quality of sleep in America is probably worse than anywhere else on earth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I can just simply say right here, right now, that inflammation and neuroinflammation destroys sleep. It, you know, inflammation and microglial activation, it totally disrupts our ability to produce melatonin in the brain. It creates this autonomic sympathetic nervous system response. 
Uh, inflammation blocks brain detoxification. It inhibits phase three detoxification of the central nervous system. So with sleep, it's like, yeah, that is when we restore. That is when we detox the brain. That's when our brain becomes more plastic, which is how we learn new skills and consolidate memories, right? Mm -hmm. So inflammation is disrupting all of this where we can't create those new neural networks or disintegrate old ones that might be associated with trauma and self-limiting beliefs. Can't disintegrate those. So those are kind of stuck. We can't detox the brain. So we can't get all those toxins out that are just driving and compounding the degeneration and neuroinflammation. So, you know, like I would say sleep is my highest non-negotiable. I mean, I'm pretty particular about my routine and my lifestyle. I think sleep is number one because like I can, I can skip a day at the gym and I actually might feel better. I could probably use that sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. I could skip a meal and fast all day, but like my sleep I do not do well if somebody, you know, and it's true, sleep. man. It's like, okay. So like, um, I was talking to this guy about, uh, I think his name, Dr. Porter. And he was talking about, um, when you talked about the detoxification of the brain, right? The phase three. Yeah. And, uh, he was talking about certain Delta levels of sleep or, or, and, and guys, I'm like, I'm not a sleep scientist. So that's why I'm bringing it up. It's, but it was just that the amount of, like you say, detoxification that happens to your central nervous system, just in sleep. And if you skip that, that layer, like you don't get it. And so that's why I was like, no wonder, like, I remember back in the day when I would just, I was hitting it hard in the clinic and I, you know, I didn't really practice what I preach. I was, you know, working so many hours, getting like four or five hours sleep at night. And I wasn't really getting restful. And I was like, why? No wonder I have brain fog and all these toxins are still in my brain. And, and, you know, that even goes back to people who say like, well, I only had one margarita and I just feel like I'm just trashed. I'm like, well, you probably didn't get any sleep that night. And now, um, that's one of the main questions, man. Like whenever you come in, I was like, well, how, how well did you sleep? Or how, what do you sleep? Cause in Chinese medicine, you and I know that it's like, you had this little circadian rhythm clock that deals with organs and it can show you if an organ's imbalanced. And then how well do you poop? And I'm like, and do you like literally like how well is your sustained energy throughout the day? And I'm thinking like with you, it's like, I have my patterns. Like I don't want to mess with my, <laughs> my bowel movements and I don't want to mess with my sleep. And I think that it is alarming. I always use the word alarming. It is like how many times like I've missed this. And we, we, I think we talked in the last time we talked about people who don't even like have proper bowel movements. And I'm not, I mean, they have functional constipation and I'm just yeah. like, they still go and they're like, literally they go, I don't go, but every three or four days. And I'm like, no wonder your brain is completely fried all the time. Yeah. And with this though, we, we talked about like, you know, like sleep and things that we can do to help this. I want to dive in because people are going to ask now. They're like, I got to get in touch with this guy. Like, what is his, like, what are the panels you've run? What is this map? What are the things that you're starting to do? Like, how can they start to learn more about this and what does it offer them? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think the point that you're making about the detox pathways is just so important. And I will say like these days, I think everybody's kind of trying to figure out like the fancy biohack or the fancy protocol that and it's like, you, you know, you don't need all that stuff, like the supplements and gadgets and rebounding and $10,000 vibrating plates. Like those are all great and helpful. And I guess if you like have plenty of money and nothing but time on your hands, it's great to do all that. But like, you know, for example, the detox and opening drainage pathways, like I'm a big yogi kind of the types of exercise I love. And it's like health doesn't need to be expensive. And that's always kind of the, the pushback in our industry is people are like, well, I can't afford the testing, the supplements, the protocols biohacking gadgets. It's like, yeah, well, it could basically be like free or not expensive. Like, you know, if you're getting organic food from the farmer's market and 
exercising, even without a gym membership, like, you know, doing some yoga where you are opening the lymph and the drainage pathways and moving the colon. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, if you can't detox your brain, you can't detox with GI tracts, like kind of screwed. And so I think these days we're very monkey mind data driven. And, you know, what kills me most about that is I think science and data gets really bastardized through that. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw that a lot during COVID, unfortunately, kind of the corruption and biased, like, well, this is the data that fits our narrative to fit our agenda, you know? So that's a whole thing in itself. But my point being, I do think people need to see data to have faith in the process. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of, I mean, I could tell people, like, if you just eat a clean organic diet and drink well and prioritize your sleep and manage your stress and get active, do that for a decade. And I guarantee you that your health will transform. That's not sexy. Like, they're like, no, I want to throw my money at you and you give me an instant gratification solution. Right. So, this is why, like, I'm like, all right, well, let me show you some data that I can track and prove to you over time that you're reducing oxidative stress and inflammation in your body. So, like with the mental map test that I created, I have a concern. I was just saying this to Dr. Nicole on a podcast yesterday. I am concerned about in the functional medicine space, I feel like the whole industry runs off functional lab testing that has been distinguished as being different than conventional lab testing. And when you really like have that conversation, you start recognizing a lot of these functional lab tests they're new testing technologies, they're new biomarkers, and a, most of it does not have clearly established clinical significance, mm-hmm. right? And this is a huge problem, in my opinion, because how can we make sound clinical decisions or recommendations off data that does not have clearly established clinical significance? It just doesn't make sense. And so there's kind of this like, Conventional healthcare, they're the slow adopters. And functional medicine, as an entrepreneurial Wild West industry, we're early adopters. And the thing about that is like, well, you know, if you're an early adopter, you're one of those, I think this next thing is going to be the next best thing. I want to be in on it early mm-hmm. versus the slow adopters. They're the ones that they're going to sit back and be like, I'm not sure. Like, I'm going to wait and see what time brings and see what the data and evidence shows. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think there's a balance to be struck there, but I think in functional medicine, people are to jump on the flashy, shiny object in conventional healthcare. It's like painfully slow of like, well, how many millions of people are going to die before you guys start doing your job better? Like with, with celiac is a great example where even to this day, you know, celiac is primarily diagnosed and determined based on a, a colonoscopy, where it's like, why are you not using the celiac panel? that's widely available through LabCorp and Quest and can predict celiac like 10 years before it would ever manifest in the tissue. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we have the sensitive biomarkers to catch these things earlier, but it's not standard of care yet. It's not routinely used yet, even though it's right there if the doctor would just use it and order it, right? Yeah. So it drives me crazy. It does. I think that whenever, like, I'm oh, sorry, I didn't interrupt. But oh, you get, you're good. It's like when you think, like, how much, like, you're saying that um, and they can see the markers, um, like, it, it can push you to the point where you will have celiac. And I think that's, yeah. you're right about late adopters and early adopters. And a lot of, when patients come in and they'll say, well, my thyroid has Hashimoto's or I have thyroiditis or I've got, you know, Crohn's. And I always say that 
it's always to the point where you get pushed to the edge at the edge of that cliff. And when you get pushed over, that's when your blood will really show it. But you can always have clear indications, you know, within your bloodstream, if, even on basic tests that something's going on in this area of your body. And so I, and I don't say it's too late. I think that when they start to get pushed over the edge of the body is actually failing in some area that you say it's going to take time to get back up. But I, I think it's, um, uh, you know, in our, I guess they say sick care um, culture, it's just, it's saddening because a lot of times, you know, many times healthcare practitioners, they go, well, we'll wait. Like literally they'll say, you know, they'll say like, let's wait till your hip goes out before we have hip, hip replacement. Yeah. And, and there's nothing about like, let's uh, feed the ligaments and the joints and the cartilage with good nutrients and get your body back in, do these types of exercises to get this thing rolling. And I think that there is that big discrepancy. Cause I'll tell you what, man, I, I can be very stubborn about like health. Cause I'm not one of those people that just jumps on like a brand new thought. Like I, mm. I, I kind of say, is this kind of a fad thing? Or is this good? And I've, I've been guilty of that. But I also think that now it's like I'm more, I love innovation now more than I ever have. Yeah. Um, but I, I say that when we put it into practice, like you say, like, because I'll have patients that come in all the time. And I know people out there listening, they'll say, well, this new thing is going to like save my, my health if I just follow it. And I'm like, no, there's basic standard things that you can do right now. Because in Chinese medicine, you know, I'm always thinking like, your body gives you signs and signals, like in the hands and the feet and the face, like what needs to be like, remedied and so what i appreciate about it is like with your new the map and the system that you're using is like you're trying to cut things off at the past that's what i love yeah. about your information it's like cutting it off at the past and going for it now do you see in this psychology you know metabolic changes causing psychological issues do you see that you're like you were saying before like it's starting to shift that way that more people are starting to go this route like trying to change the metabolism change mental health do you see that yeah i mean i really look at it as like this is this is uh a time, I believe, of, of kind of a collective awakening. And it's this undeniable movement. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of prophesizing of this, like even the, the book, The Celestine Prophecy, that's what the whole book was about, is kind of this collective awakening around this time period. And so I do, I think we're at such a, and we're so in it, we're so like in the shit that we have lost perspective on like our lineage and how young and kind of immature of this current crisis really is because I do, I think we're at this pivotal moment and, you know, I mean, there's, there's two paths, like either, you know, the collapse of humanity or we learn better and we course correct and we make adjustments and we have the technology to do whatever we got to do. It's just, do we have the discipline? Do we have the willpower? But I think this is the emerging age of the citizen scientist of the self healer, where, for example, with lab testing and all of that, you know, there's always that like, well, what test should I go ask my doctor for? And it's like, look, like I'll give you a list and you can try, but what you have to understand is that business model, you know, they're not going to run testing. That's not deemed medically necessary to keep their mm -hmm. expenses low. Like you think insurance wants to pay for you to do all this testing just because you're curious and you want to optimize your health. That's not what the system is for, mm -hmm. you know, so if, if you simply wait for your conventional doctor to find a problem, you know, like you, you wait and the doctor eventually discovers nodules on your thyroid and then like, oh yeah, look, your antibodies are in the thousands or like, oh, I think I might have celiac and your tissue transglutaminase is in the hundreds. Whereas like, I think it is well worth the expense out of pocket to buy your own lab testing you know, out of pocket and do blood work at least twice a year and track that data. Hmm. You know, it's through the data tracking that you see like, okay, 
you know, my C-reactive protein, which is one of the core markers on the map and the most well-studied inflammatory biomarker known to man. But it's like you're walking around with a CRP of like three to five, which most people that are metabolically ill are. Mm-hmm. And that's not acceptable. Like three to five isn't like it should be zero all the time. Yep. You know, I mean, sure, you get sick and it jumps up to 20 as you fight off that infection acutely. That's the point of data tracking. And so if you're walking around at a three to five and you don't do anything to intervene with your health, and then two years down the road, now you're walking around at a six or seven and the symptoms are creeping on, they're getting worse, right? And it's simply tracking that data to see like, am I moving in the right direction with my health or not? And what am I going to do about it? What intervention am I going to do about it? You're just going to throw medications to enable your own self-destructive lifestyle behaviors? Or are you going to take a look at like, oh, I need to take some ownership. If I need to stop drinking, you know, every weekend, I need to stop eating processed food every day. I need to maybe move my body and let the sunlight kiss my skin once in a while. So that's, I think the value in, in data tracking and lab testing. And we have to pull people out of that domestication mindset that they have with mm-hmm. go to the doctor, do the blood work, but the blood work is all normal. It's like, all right, well, let's be prophylactic. Let's look at it functionally. Let's have that holistic conversation of one of the things I wrote this morning, actually, because this is an issue in our industry, we need to stop chasing root causes and start tracking physiology. Wow. You know? Wow. Wow. That's good, man. I thought that, it was I good mean, too. I wrote it down. So. That's good, man. <laughs> it truly, it's like, it's a, it's, man, I got to think about that, guys. Everybody out there, listen to that, track, track physiology, because now per se, it's like, you know, when you think about how the body like creates a story, like a lot of times when patients come in there, um, for example, sometimes like the way I do, I'll scan some individuals with Chinese medicine stuff and like you say, you have to track it to where like, I do appreciate their blood work. I appreciate their hormone and, and, and the, the other doctor sending me things because it allows me to see like, how do I, you know, I find a liver stagnation. How does that correlate with their blood work? Did they show high, small signs of it? And whenever I like now, I, I find that when you say C-reactive proteins, you'll see that people have like monitoring. That's a huge thing because like I'll find people that have evidence, uh, I suspect certain types of infections and we do a lab test, like a urine test or blood test. They do have it. And then about, you know, two or three visits down the road, I suspect another type of infection. And you think it just shows me that it's about like tracking their physiology. It's about building physiology. If they built mm-hmm. it really well, like yeah. I, they would actually be able to fight off the infection. So I'm always touting, build your strength and energy. That's the yeah. first thing you do. And I said, and that'll help you get rid of the infections even quicker and in fact, like now, as I see, like I'm getting a little older in my life and I, I look at my own mortality, man, I'm like, I'm not being morbid, but I say this, what do I want to do when I get older? I, I don't want to be like stiff and I can't move and I can't go out and take a hike. You know, I want to be that guy that's, you know, an old Asian guy that can go out and just walk around the hills if I want to. Yeah. But like you say, tracking, that makes a lot of sense because we don't do that. Like we usually just say to something comes up, we get really sick instead of saying no, like, how do I improve my life or just improve my health or sustain it every single day? So that's what I appreciate about like what you're saying. Cause now like I'm going to, brother, I'm going to write that down <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to focus yeah. on that. I'm so everybody out there. It. Yeah. It's like how the course is built. So how do people yeah. like, um, man, we could talk all day. Cause I, you know what I was thinking about, man, when you talked about phy- uh, physiology and you're talking about neurology and technology. So people out there, like, I always say this technology always mirrors neurology. Yeah. Like the things you see in your laptop and your book and all these things, all these little alarms are going off around here for me. I'm like, they're all based on like some of the reactions or how the brain is set up. Like, it's really crazy. Like you have the cloud, 
And the cloud is like your higher conscience. You like download into the cloud. And if there's something wrong with your processing unit, you won't be able to pull down the information that's stored in other parts of the brain. And now I'm like, what? Like we can't have instantaneous like remedies like clearing a virus real quick. It's just that you see like how much, like you see the matrix, like that kind of stuff to me would, I don't know people out there would just get totally bored with it if we did a podcast. Yeah, with I don't know. I <laughs> stuff, there man. might be a conversation of how the technology is like augmenting our sentience and perception of it. It, it gets weird. It, gets it does get weird. weird. <laughs> yeah, people are like out there listening, man. They're like, okay, where do we go with this? But anyway, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, so how can I know, man, I love to talk to you. Like, like we could keep talking, but I know that uh, time is precious for both uh, for you and for me, but I, I'm just so glad we can talk like this, but how can people find out more about you? What is your, um, your, feed and how can they get part of this program because this is hugely important because people out there have neurodegeneration and they are going to want to know how to get a hold of you yeah absolutely i appreciate that and we we could talk all day we'll do a we'll do a podcast on my show and, and you know we might go down that rabbit <laughs> that's gonna a be a little good. bit more yeah I, I welcome that kind of stuff and to your point you know i think the good closure for the audience is building that physiological, metabolic, spiritual, psychological resilience, right? Like it's all about building resilience, which is earned, right? You know, there's no instant gratification for resilience that that's cultivated within, mm-hmm. um, to make you bulletproof and resilient towards all the bugs, all the bad vibes and everything in between. But my main platform is Instagram. That's kind of the tip of the spear for everything. Some of the holistic savage on Instagram and mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just running with that. So that's, that's where I put out all the free content. I've got my link tree and, you know, people can fall down some funnels that are, you know, resonate with them. You know, my primary thing these days is training providers, practitioners, and, but we are working on some cool things for, I am trying to build kind of a direct to consumer experience with the mental map lab test and it, you know, needs some work there, but ultimately, and there's a book in the works, but I'm trying to just get this information out there. I really think education and empowerment, you know, the greatest medicine, medicine is teach people how not to need it. Right. So that's, that's kind of everything I'm about where, you know, we don't want the population to be reliant on an external practice. And by all means, I think sometimes people like, yes, work with that practitioner, give them the opportunity to help you. Cause you know, I think there is too much like just consuming free content without integrating and implementing it. But mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, ultimately I am, I'm trying to educate and empower people, this information so that they can, you know, overcome their health struggles. So it's Dude, a pleasure. Yeah. This is great. I'm just saying, guys, follow this guy. I mean, he's got a great, great post. Uh, I, I, when I watch, see some of your posts, man, I look at mine and I'm like, man, I got to step up my game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but, but I, but I love it that like brotherhood and stuff, like I like the kinship, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I'm glad like some people on Instagram, like, uh, I can just reach out and say, Hey, I got a patient that has this or that. Oh, what do you think is going to be the problem with them? But yeah. man, um, anytime, man, I, I know we, we, we exchange contact info, man. We yeah. want to have you on here again because you have such good info. Uh, when you get your book out, when you have those things out, you let us know. And uh, man, it's just a privilege, brother. So just thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, uh, dude, it, it's my pleasure, Chris. I can't wait to uh, have another conversation on, on my show sometime. It's going to happen, man. It's going right, to happen. Man. Thanks Very everybody good. for listening. We say thank you. Everybody sends their love. And uh, guys, we'll talk to you next time.